Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we honor you this morning. What a privilege that we can come collectively as a corporate body to give honor, glory, and praise to you. You deserve the highest praise. It's all about you, and that's what we're here, to give you praise and glory and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to close with the last two of the five very important words. We began in uh, Matthew chapter 26, 26, and again it's mentioned in uh, Mark chapter 14, 22, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14 and verse uh, 19, and then in Luke uh, also, but John chapter 6 and verse 11, we'll go to that. We talked about from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, the five important words. The first one was Jesus took the bread. Number two, he blessed. Number three, he gave. Uh, he broke it. Number four, he gave. And then the fifth one, his, he distributed and multiplied. So I want to talk this morning about the five important words, but I would try and finish the, the last two, number four and number five. The first, what he does, he takes the bread, whether it be the bread as we see literally in the last communion, as well as all the four gospel also writes about the bread and the fish that was multi multiplied to 5,000 and 7,000 people. Every one of these gospel writers writes about it. So when you think about he took the bread, literally bread, but again, it could be you, it could be, it's the Lord Jesus too. And what he does is he looks up and blesses it. That's a plus. Then he breaks it. That's a minus. Then he gives it away. That's a division. And then he distributes. That's a multiplication. It is uh, biblical mathematics in terms of the bread. But let me just come to the fourth one. We did the last three. You can go back into the series, and you can always find these lessons in our website or on the Facebook. But we're talking about the number four, and that is from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Gave to his disciples. When you think about giving, I want you to understand the most important aspect of what we talk about giving is nothing greater or better than to talk about God our Father. He is the greatest giver in the entire universe. You can't find anyone like our God and our Father. When you think about the good and perfect gift, that's what James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, that all good and perfect gift comes from the Father in whom there is no variableness, no change. He's the one who gives the good. And he's the one who gives the perfect gift. Every one of us enjoys that. 
when you think about life being born, that is a gift from God. It's a loan from God. Every moment our heart is ticking, it is a gift from God. But then a greater gift is being born again. Not simply life, but life eternal because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Then when you think about the natural life with all the five senses, whether we see, we speak, we hear, we feel, we touch, all of this was so grateful to God. And then the spiritual, what we see or hear or we feel or we experience, all of this is a gift from God in the spiritual. I want you to understand the many ways in which God gives, we should always be grateful. So when you think about yeah, during Valentine, a lot of people give great amount of gifts. You can look at the amount that they give, whether it's diamond stud or diamond uh, rings or diamond necklaces or cars like the most expensive. But you can bring them together in one heap and still it hasn't touched a little bit, an iota of the great God's great love for us. Give the Lord a clap offering. But I would venture to say, we do find the Bible speaking out people giving profusely to God. It's a sacrifice. It is a gift to the Lord. Actually, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4 talks about Abel giving what would be a sacrifice unto the Lord, which he was well pleased with. And then after 40 days in the ship, you find Noah actually giving sacrifice, and that you find in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Solomon was so grateful in the building up of that temple that God gave in Mount Moriah to his father, that when you see chapter 8 of 1 Kings and verse uh, 63, uh, you're going to find the amazing aspect of the sacrifice he offers, and what a tremendous sacrifice it was uh, innumerable that you find in the next couple of verses. Ezekiah was a young man as he became a king, but his heart was on flame for the Lord. He was what you call a reformist king who brought a great reformation. And one of the things he did was to restore praise and worship. So you can read that in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 31 and verse 32. He gives without number, and that was amazing uh, sacrifice to God. In the New Testament, we find, especially at the season, we're reminded of the Magi's or the wise men coming in Matthew chapter 2, 11. They give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was a gift to the baby Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 7. Here's a woman that brings an alabaster box of perfume and breaks it at his feet. What a powerful gift. But all of this combined together again would not in any way equal God's great gift to us every day. You know, somehow because of the sad situation of people literally begging in the churches for money, God gets a bad rip. Like he is a taker. My friend, nothing can be further from the truth. He's not a taker, he's a giver, he's a giver, he's a giver. Even though churches give a bad rep to the Lord, I want you to know he is not a taker. He's a giver of all good things. This is about God. There is no child sacrifice. There's no human sacrifice in the Bible. There is no bribe or there is no 
in a sense of trying to please God by appeasing him, ringing some bell and then giving some to bribe him. He doesn't go that way. He's not a capricious God that need to be bribed. But I want you to understand this great and mighty God is a giver, not simply our life, that everything we own, it is God. I like this passage in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. It talks about God as Almighty God, El Shaddai, the all-nourishing one, or as the translation from Hebrew to English tells us, the all-sufficient one. He is sufficient for every need that we have. He's the all-sufficient God as he was yesterday, he's today, and will always be tomorrow and the coming days as well. I want you to realize how powerful this passage is, particularly when we think in season about the greatest gift. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, gave, gave, gave his only begotten Son. I want you to realize he's a God whose action in love can be seen in giving the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, to this world. Think with me for a moment, my friend, when you think about people who give, sometimes it is not out of love. Maybe it's for a tax reduction, or maybe to make an appeasement, or maybe to give a gift to please people. But here in this case, I want you to realize you really cannot love without really giving. And so when you think about God, it is love, amazing love, in an amazing action in giving. That is God, that is our Father, our great, mighty Abba God. But I want you to realize too, that as the Father gave, Jesus gives his life for us. He lays down his life as a ransom. He gave, willingly. No, it is not people, it is not Jews or the Romans, he gave himself voluntarily. It was of his own volition he gave his life, and why would he? For this purpose he came, that he would die for us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God, that is a gift from God that God gave through Jesus, is life eternal. So not only the fact that God gives, but I want you to understand to what level when you read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you. What mind? That was in Jesus, verse 6 says, though he was God fashioned in every aspect, the word was with God, the word became flesh. He humbled himself. He was, uh, it was not thought robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of man. And then having said that, he being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, the death on the cross. Think with me what this love meant for, for each one of us. He did it willingly. He did it willfully. He did it joyfully. And he did it with no bar, nothing counting. I want you to realize sacrificially. So this love is put into action when he humbled himself. This love puts itself that he gave joyfully. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was before him, listen to what he did, not only the fact 
in verse 2 says, he humbled himself, and he's uh, the author finisher. The joy that was set before him went to the cross, despising the shame. No matter what the shame was, he just took it aside for you and for me. That is a great love. That is an amazing love. What we need to understand is in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is what he did. Willingly, of his own volition, no one had to compel him or force him. That is love. That's amazing love. But I want you to understand the Father in giving, he emptied heaven with the best. Not some great angels or archangels or cherubim or even Michael or Gabriel. No, he gave Jesus Christ his son. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 speaks eloquently. It says, And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Having given the best, do you think he is nothing else he can withhold? He's given the best, and he would give everything else. He is our all-sufficient God who is El Shaddai, that is who he is. And when you think about the greatness and the power of God, what a great, what a mighty God. When you think about all that he's done, again, let us remind ourselves of what James chapter 117, all good things, perfect gift, the very body. Psalm 139 reminds us how wonderfully we are made. It's a gift. We have eyes to see, ears to hear, that we can reach out to others. We feel, we think, and we're not robotic. We can make our own decision. All of this that God has made us and given us as free moral agent. And we can make a choice. No one has to compel us. That is God's gift to us. But what is so powerful is he sent Jesus Christ and when you read Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he went about doing good, healing all manner of sicknesses. That's what Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says. He healed all manner, and he's still doing that today as he did it 2,000 years ago. How wonderful. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, by faith we have Peace with God. That is powerful. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Peace with God. Wow, that is amazing. This is something that God gives to us in a world that is troubled, in a world that is in a tumult, but God gives that peace. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 23, there's joy. And because of the reward that God has given us in heaven, and chapter 10 of Luke and verse 20, because rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's so much that God gives to us, we can never, ever be ungrateful to God. You know, when you turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall be filled with the power. That is what God gives us. Thanks be to God for his unreachable, unsearchable, unfathomable riches of grace, mercy. 
You know, when you think about John chapter 1 and verse 17, verse 16 and 17, truth and grace comes through Jesus. Verse 17 says he has poured grace upon grace, packed it totally, one thing heaped upon another. He has given us grace, 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 multiplied. I will talk to that towards the end. All this because of God's great love he gives to us. What an amazing, gracious God. The psalm has so much to talk about. Psalm 29 and verse 11, he gives us strength. Psalm 34, uh, verse Psalm 37 and verse 4, is he gives us the desires of our heart. That is God who gives so much. Psalm 103, verse 3 and 4, he forgives us, he redeems us. And verse 8 tells us he's merciful to us. And that's what the whole Psalm 137, an expression, God is good and his mercy endureth forever and forever. You know, he gives us hope in a very difficult, hopeless world. We're reminded of what God spoke to Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 11. I have plans for you better than your plan for yourself. And this is great hope for each one of us. We're reminded every day as we go to the Lord in the prayer that he has taught us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, give us this day, and he's given us our daily bread. Bread of the intellect, bread of the soul, bread of the emotion, bread of the physical, bread of the money, bread of every aspect of our life. He gives us, and that's why we've come to say thank you, thank you, thank you for his great and mighty grace. Give the Lord a clap offering. We can never forget, never forget, that when we talk about giving, it is God who gave first. When we talk about love, it was God who first loved us. When we think about anything that we could ever boast about, it was God who first began that. Mercy and grace and love. So he gave this bread that was broken. What you find is in this division, multitudes are being blessed. You know, there is a passage as you read John chapter 6 and verse 11. This is with regard to the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And it says Jesus took the, five, uh, took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to his disciples, and the disciples of them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now he goes on to give them a lesson, because he's now talking about that he is the bread of life. And all of a sudden, his hearers basically just boast of the heritage that they have of their ancestors, of how great they are. So when you come to verse 31 of the same chapter in John chapter 6, they're saying, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Our fathers, it's all about our heritage. It's all about our race. It's all about our ancestors. It's all about our history. But Jesus replied in verse 32, listen to his reply. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, 
quit boasting about that. But my Father giveth the true bread from heaven. And then he goes on to say, I am the living bread. I want you to realize, in the midst of all that happened, they're bringing their past glory. So many people feel that God was in the past. So many people think the great things of God are in the past. That those glory days are over. Everything is history. And unfortunately, when a movement suddenly comes to a grinding halt, and there's no more the Holy Spirit working, there's no more the presence of God, it becomes a monument. And once it becomes a monument, people build a fence around and they talk about what happened in the past. It becomes a museum. They're always defending the past, the past, the past, the past. So our fathers, our denomination in the past, our great, great history in the past, it has always been the tradition that has destroyed the move of God in the present. When Jesus is talking about the lesson of giving the bread, he talks about the bread that they will hunger no more, that he would give and that he's the eternal bread. They have problems. They bring in the past. How limited is their remembrances? How limited is their history? They talk about the past like it is the glory days of the past. Do you hear that in the churches today? Oh, it is the glory days of yesterday, 1949. 1950 is the move of God. What happened to the move of God today? Oh, the Holy Spirit fell. What happened today? The glory of the past, the glory of the past, the history of the past. But what about the present? Jesus takes the past history and fast forwards and makes it the present history, the present story. He takes the past activities and brings down into the present reality. He takes the past tense and brings it to the present tense. What I mean is there's people boasting what God did through Moses, what God did through David, what God did with our fathers, our race, our people, our denomination. They have to say that because it's a history. There's no story for the present. But Jesus is saying, God the Father is working even today far greater because you have before you the living bread. I want you to realize, my friend, what it means. It simply is when people talk about the past, they're talking about God who was. Oh, he was a great God. Oh, he worked through Moses. Oh, he worked through Joseph. Oh, he worked in the olden days. Was, 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 was. The last time I checked, his name still is I am, never I was. If you turn to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, Listen to what God is saying to Moses. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. 
And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahweh, who hath sent me unto you. Now look what he says in verse 15. He says, And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me to you, and this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. What all don't mention that name. You can call it that name, you can call him Adonai, but the fact is, Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is wrong. But that being said, and it is terrible to take the name of the Lord in vain, it is always remember, God says, speak in my name. Remember me in my name. It's not a name you should miss and totally ignore. And he put something else. Today, the pious Jewish people don't have the right pronunciation of the great mighty God because they stopped using, using his name after the fall of the temple. So they use the name Ohasim or they use the word Adonai. But I want you to understand Yahweh is a mighty God and we need to understand that ultimately you look at the progression Yahshu, Yahweh the one that comes to save us. You shall call his name. So what is awesome is I want you to understand Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. The New Testament reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. So when you come to this what God gave, God gives us, take for example our own life. He chooses us, takes us, he blesses us, and then the process of using us, he has to break us so it would be less of us and more of God. That we would not say it was my ingenuity, it is my connection, it's me, I did that. No, it was God and God and God alone and to him be glory. And in the process after breaking, what he does is he gives. That's the finished product. We're not perfect, but we realize he humbled us. He reminds us that he and he alone, and this is what he does. And then he distributes us to the multitude that so many others could be blessed. It could be your life, it could be your talent, it could be all of this, but it is also ultimately Jesus Christ the bread, the living bread, being distributed to all of us because until and unless the corn of wheat fall and die, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Number two I want to talk about is the fifth point, and that is when you read that in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 6. But let's just go to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 19. This is about, not the 5,000, 7,000 people. So when you read Matthew chapter 14 and verse 19, and he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So it was passed. It was still five loaves, two fish, but the 
But in the process of it being passed, and when Jesus, our Lord, gave it to his disciples, they were able to give to the multitudes. 5,000, 7,000. Not counting the women and children. That could be 20,000 plus. How could five loaves and two fish? And that's what we're talking about. Multiplication. The process of multiplication is a very important component in the Bible. You know, in the very beginning, we are told in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, in the creation, this is what God said. Be fruitful and multiply. This powerful principle, this powerful truth is found from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. All 66 books of the Bible has this multiplication principle. In fact, one of the books of the Torah is called the book of Numbers. Multiplication simply expands Enlarge, double, compound. So if you were in the bank and if you keep a money in the compound interest, you basically, it's exponential growth. I want us to realize how important this principle is. So if you were to take Luke, um, John chapter 6, verse 11, you're going to find in this passage, in again in reaching out to the 5,000 people, Jesus is able, uh, um, John chapter 6, verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ is taking the bread, and what he does is he sets down, and then he distributes it to those multitudes. Distributing is very powerful when you look at it. There are some principles I want to give in just a short while, and what I want you to understand, this powerful principle of distribution is very important maybe six or seven or eight principles before we close. How do you meet the need of people that need to be supplied? The need was tremendous. In literally it was feeding the 5,000, or it could be in terms of your financial situation right now in the season, or it could be your life, it could be needs. How do you meet the need? Number one, you must be moved with passion. You must be moved with compassion. The word is simply greed, get all you can, whatever you can. But the biblical is compassion. And so you find this amazing principle that is found in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. And what you find is he went forth and he was moved with compassion. The first thing I wanted to understand, he was moved with compassion. I'm just going to sit down to be a little more comfortable. What you find in this passage is the Lord Jesus Christ is moved with compassion. And this is what is so important, that every one of us must understand in order to meet the need, it is not in a jealous or competitive. It is a passion for the Lord, a compassion for the need of people that you are supplying. And that's principle number one that you find in the book of Matthew chapter 14. Again, when you look at something very important, it's not what you look for, it is who you look at. If you turn to John chapter 6 and verse 7, look at what you find about Philip. Philip 
is looking at the crowd. He's looking at the desperate situation. And he says, 200 penny worth is not able to feed, is not sufficient for everyone. And that is basically, in a natural sense, calculation. That is, in the natural sense, trying to realize and calculate, oh, this is not possible. It is logical, it is reasonable in the natural world. But so, he's looking at the crowd, he's looking at the wilderness, he's looking at the condition, and he says, it's just not possible. Andrew, on the other hand, is not looking at the situation, he's looking at the Lord in the situation. When you turn to Luke, uh, when you turn to John chapter 6 and verse 9, listen, he is looking to the Lord. He's bringing a lad with five loaves and two fish. Isn't that incredible? That he could bring a lad. That wasn't sufficient, but he knew the Lord could take what was there and then multiply it. So number one, is don't look at the situation, look at the Lord in your situation. Give the Lord a clap offering. Number three, don't limit God. He's unlimited, we're limited. But our perception of ourselves should not be the perception of the Almighty God. You know, I like this passage in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 41. Don't limit the Holy One of Israel. They turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Though Andrew had the right concept, even he had a question. Because when you turn back to John chapter 6 and verse 9, listen to what he says towards the end. He says, but what are they? Five loaves and two fish, what are they among so many? Never doubt God by the little things that you have. You may be a minority. You may have very little. But I want you to understand a little dead dry stick in the hand of God given to Moses is what brought deliverance. You find a dead dry jawbone of a donkey in the hand of a Samson wrought great wonder and miracle and victory. It was God. I want to realize a little cruise of oil in the hand of a widow with a son making a last meal sustained because it was God. A widow's might becomes a lesson that Jesus thought. Won't, it doesn't matter how big, even if it is small. That is what matters. Number four, what do you put on the table? In any business dealing, when you go into a partnership, when you want to see something work, the first thing is, what do you put on the table? And in this, what do you put on the table? What you find is in chapter 6 of John and verse 11, here is what you find, Jesus taking the five loaves and two fishes. Where did it come? John chapter 6 and verse 9, a lad with five loaves, two fish. Is that all you can find when the crowd is 20,000? Are you kidding? But I want you to know what is on the table. This is what was on the table. 
Andrew brought the Lord to the Lord this young kid, and this kid had a breakfast. Five loaves, two fishes. What we need to understand is when we talk about factors, it is multiplication of two items are called factors. The result of the factors are called the products. If you have zero item or factors, you have zero product. Zero multiplied by zero is always a zero. But what is the factor? What is on the table? Have you put something so you could see the product? If there's no product, it simply means you have put nothing on the table. You have to allow God to work with what little you have and in order to meet the need, what is it that you put on the table? There's a word that is very powerful in the engineering. That is powerful word, critical mass. The critical mass is what would be the required, which is important, that is simply the fusionable requirement, the matter, fusionable matter that you need to literally, that is necessary for a sustainable nuclear uh, reaction. If you don't have that minimum, you won't be able to have the neutron. So there is what would be a minimum to be able to have this wonderful word, critical mass. What have you put to be able to have a reaction? Five fish. Five loaves, two fish. It is what is important. Number five is simply what takes away? What is the take? What is the giveaway? In all matters of business, what is the giveaway? How do you proceed with, even if it is little, little faith, a little mustard size faith, it must be exercised. That is the giveaway, and this is important. Five loaves, two fish, in order to feed 5,000 plus people. Number six, it's a very important definition. If you have to feed the people five in loaves and fishes, Understand this, things multiply in its kind. In other words, you plant mangoes, don't expect pineapples. You get mangoes, you get a mango grove. If you plant the seeds of whatever of its own kind, what was planted, that is what multiplied in kind. Five loaves, two fish, that was sustainable, Sufficient and more than sufficient till they got 12 basketful. Principle number seven, don't ever waste a miracle. When you turn to John chapter 6 and verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, gather up the fragments that remain, nothing should be lost. Never waste a miracle. One of the greatest dangers is when you go into a talk show and always the host wants to pump up yourself. How did it happen? Don't say a word except the Lord. Had nothing to do with me. It was the Lord. 
Don't waste an opportunity to make a big deal of yourself or write a book about yourself. It is all about the Lord. If the factor of the Lord was not there, it is a wasted effort. All you did was got a name, got a fame, and got money. Bought an airplane. But in all of this, you have wasted the most beautiful experience. And this is a daily experience. So, does that mean I don't say anything? Absolutely, you need to. And that is what called testimony. Not a testimony of you, testimony of the Lord. Give thanks to God and say, thank you, Lord. It is He. Testifies of Him. That is so important. That is what is called in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And I want you to just think for a moment the word witnesses to multipliers. Every word. I've heard testimonies is always trying to hype up the crowd. Exaggeration. It pipes people up. It pumps people up. It gets people to give. But it does no glory to God or His kingdom. Take this time to say, thank you, Lord. He did wonders. This is what God did. Everything about God, it's all about Him. When you think about this, my friend, not simply the fragrance, but when you turn to verse 13, what was so important, the last lesson, is simply John chapter 6 and verse 13, that each one of the 12 disciples that participated in this miracle was able to get a basket. You started with five loaves, two fish, and when you're in participating with the Lord, you get a parcel full of food. Able to give to your family, to give to others, because you are blessed. And what a tremendous blessing it is. So number one, to meet the need. You have to have a passion for the Lord and a compassion for the people. Number two, it's not what you see, no matter how difficult the circumstances, it is who you see. Christ in this terrible or hopeless situation. Number three, it's very important, don't limit the Holy One. He can do all. Even though we're limited, He is unlimited. Number four, what's on the table? What did you put? Number five, what was given? What's the giveaway in this? Number six, multiplying of its own kind. Number seven, don't waste the miracle. Take that as an opportunity to give God the glory because things will begin to happen. I've seen people's great gift. Suddenly, it's less of God and more of man. In the end, it's so much of world conscious, but when they go to heaven, it is hardly any gift because they spend it for themselves and for their glory. God never got the glory. Don't waste that marvelous experience. Number eight, it's such a blessed opportunity to be part of this great experience being multipliers. 
Just a couple of scriptures before I close and before the choir comes in and I want to pray for you, especially that you would be multiplied. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. All of blessings that come through us through Christ by way of spiritual, it goes into the spirit, soul, body, outwardly. That is what God wants to multiply you. You see, my friend, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, look at the words that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. You are the salt. Be a salt. Multiply. 14, you are the light. Let the light shine. That is what God wants you to be a multiplier. What I like is the way God used the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, he added, he multiplied daily such as should be saved. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the disciples were multiplied, so also in verse 7. It's in a time of division crises and yet great multiplication. You see, the answer is one. And never, ever put this great person in the back seat, in the back burner. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to become multipliers. Don't go out without him. You need him always. There is a principle we need to understand, and that is found in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. And this is simply, sometimes when we look at the things, we find it hard to look up. But remember, God's ways are higher. And everything that God does is beyond our thinking. But just know, God knows best, even though things may look hopeless. You simply got to trust Him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. But I want you to realize in verse 11, He gives us a profound aspect of the word. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. We read, just read verse 8. It says, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return back void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the way that I send them. Trust God and trust his word. If that is one word contrary to the situation, trust God in that situation. Christ in your situation is better than every situation that stands against it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Give glory and honor to God. I want you to realize how powerful it is when you look at the way in which God moves. Ordinarily, you would have thought with all of the powers of Egypt, the then known power, the church of the Old Testament, the people, the Hebrew people would have been destroyed. Look at the force, look at the power, look at the government, look at all of the mechanism that worked against the Hebrew people with their devotion to God. And yet what you find when you read Exodus chapter 1 and verse 12, exactly the opposite. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were and and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. They could not seem to stop them. The early church, the more they tried to stand them, the more they multiplied. Why is it not multiplying so much today? Try going into the world where there is so much of persecution. They cannot stop the church from being from enlarging and multiplying. Long after the missionaries left China, 
They had lost all hope about China. They came back home rejected and dejected. 25 years later, reports come, not a few thousand, millions upon millions upon millions of Christians. It is multiplying. What is it about the West? We're so preoccupied with luxuries. We're so preoccupied with all the pleasures of the world. I wanted to know Christ is disappearing in the West. Maybe a little bit of persecution will help us come back to the faith like it is growing in many other countries where there's so much persecution. We don't have to wait for that. We need Christ and Christ alone. This morning I happened to look in the Facebook and I don't know from nowhere it's not even my friend just sent me this. It's a box, a UFC fighter, I don't know the name, from Cuba, a born-again guy. And he's saying, the, he was asked to say, what would you say after your victory? He said, West America, please listen to me. You can't lose him. You can't lose him. You've got to bring Jesus back. You're losing him. America, you need Jesus. Fifteen minutes of fame, and he's talking about what is so important to this nation. And all across the West, we have given up on Jesus. And we're dying. We're dying. And I wanted to know multiplication comes with recognizing that with God all things are possible. We've got all things. Why do we need God, we say. I've got the cars, I've got a villa, I've got this, I've got that. What is the use of God when everything disappears? And when you have nothing, you're going to cling on to God and cry out to God. My friend, don't wait for that. It may be a little too late. Begin with God today. What I want us to realize is in a powerful way, this message is so important. God wants to bless us. That's what he wants. He wants to multiply us. Look at what God says in Psalm 107 and verse 38. This is powerful. He blessed them also that they are multiplied greatly and suffered not their cattle to decrease. Decrease. That is God's desire. That is God's desire for your life, no matter what takes place. You know, when I'm talking about multiplication, somehow I'm looking at little things in the negative I'm multiplying. Did you know that the false news multiplies fast, faster than the true news? Because there are not many truth tellers. They want us to hear what they want us to hear. They will not tell us the fact. Because you see, my friend, in the ultimate people only give us what they only want us to know. And in the same way, when you look at the virus, that seems to be multiplying. This cursed thing has come back again in some way or the other. You need to wear a mask every time possible. But that seems to be multiplying. But where are the multiplication of the positive things of the world? We need to believe. The faith should not wane. This is the time to stretch out and let your faith enlarge and increase in every aspect. Look at what God says about health in Proverbs chapter 9-11. Think about 9-11. Proverbs 9-11. For by me, for by, for by me your days shall be multiplied and the years of your life shall be increased. Can you say 9-11? <clears throat> 9-11, Proverbs 9-11, for by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of your life shall be increased. Even 
during this pandemic. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? <clears throat> what I want you to understand is when the apostles begin to write a letter called the epistle, whether they began or they ended, they looked at the factors multiplied and what was the result of the factors was the finished product. And that is what they are conveying to the very many churches. Paul, it's so much letters that he wrote, you really don't have time for this, considering that we will be going to worship. But let me take Jude. Look at how he begins in this sense. Jude chapter 1 and verse 2. Mercy 1, peace number 2, and love be... Go ahead. Mercy, peace, love. If we have mercy, if we have peace, if we have love, God is mercy in Christ, God is love in Christ, and God is peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. We wouldn't be having so much hate. We wouldn't be having so much division. We wouldn't be warring against each other. But among the Christian fold, I'm going to say this. Let love, let peace and mercy be not just added, but multiplied. Can you receive that? Look at how Peter starts his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Towards the end, he says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Look at how he begins the second letter in 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 2, what a marvelous way. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants you to be multiplied. God wants your faith to be multiplied. God wants his mercy multiplied through you. God wants in a world that has no peace that you would be the peace multiplied. Let me read Acts chapter 1. And verse, verse 8 again, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon, come upon you. You shall be my multipliers. All things that Jesus did, he wants multiplied through you. All the mercies that Jesus showed, he wants it multiplied through you. All the love that Jesus is through you, you would be his hands, you would be his feet, you would be the very essence of the body here on earth as if Jesus was here, but he's working through you. Multiplying himself through the many lives because of the Holy Spirit. God wants more. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says. More than you can even think, compound, or even, even imagine. I want you to stand and I'm going to pray a prayer. A prayer that God would take you. A prayer that God would bless you. A prayer that God, yeah, even break you so it would be less of you and more in you. That broken vessel, but the excellency is of God. Amen. That God, by the time he gives you, you are that product. No, we're not perfected yet but it is better than what it was so of us 
and less of God until we are more of Him and less of us. And then He multiplies us. While I'm praying for you, maybe you have that bread. It could be your family. It could be your home. It could be what you have been crying out to God and your particular prayer may not be your particular prayer, but that is what you're holding, this bread. It could be someone in your family. It could be business. It could be health. It could be money. And I'm going to pray this. May the Lord take what you give to him. You've got to put something on the table. May the Lord bless what you have presented to him. Go ahead, hold it in your hands. May the Lord break. Oh, yeah. That person is so difficult, God has to break him. So he would cry out to him. He could be a soul that would turn to be a Paul. All that business, all that situation that you're giving needs that process of brokenness, becomes malleable, sensitive, flexible in the potter's hands. So he could shape you or that thing that you are bringing before God. And then he's able to give that which you have presented to the level, to the point that God's desire would be fulfilled and multiplies. That which was multiplying, not the best, will multiply so much of God and everything of God. And I pray this, Father, as we have gone through this, that what you have taken, you have chosen. We have not chosen you, you have chosen us. You have taken us, Lord. And then you have blessed us, O Lord, and the things that we bring to you. And Lord, you have broken. It has been a hard process, but that is the greatest process. Before you could use us, that we would be in the process of brokenness, that we would need more of you and depend more on you. In the process, Lord, you give us the faith would be multiplied, the love would be multiplied, grace would be multiplied, everything that you have given us, including health, finance, but more our spiritual life, would be multiplied, and the multitudes, the multitudes around would be blessed. Take that which is in your hand and lift it up to God and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I put this on the table. This is my giveaway. And now, Lord, do what you would. Expand it, enlarge it, multiply it, and do all you can for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.